river's full of hope. I've got the urge to walk the prairie and chase the antelope. Aspen's gold on snow-capped peaks, the elk call me away. I can't keep my mind on working on this fine September day. I've got Nimrod neurosis, longbows on the brain. I'm an outdoor Welcome to the Track Quest Podcast, James Orr. Bob Borland, back at it. What's going on, Bob? Oh, just a few days before Christmas. So we're getting ready. We're trying to squeeze in an awesome podcast this morning with uh, our good good buddy, Brian Morris. Just a just a stud, man. Just a good man. Just a good dude. And, yeah, I mean, salt to the earth really applies with this guy. Yep, he had a good year out chasing... Chasing deer and uh, killed his one of his biggest blacktails. Well, his biggest blacktail sounded like it was a tank, a 200-pound blacktail in California. Yeah. That's a big old buck, and he got to chase some Nevada muleys around. And and uh, so we got some good stories out of him and talked about all yeah, kinds this, of stuff. Yeah, this is a great listen. I think you guys are definitely going to enjoy um, you know, getting to know Brian more. Um, I always, uh, every time I talk to him, um, I take something away. He's just a just a really good person. Um, what else do we got going on, Bob? I know my kids are jazzed, right? I mean, I feel like a little uh, kid. Yeah. They are just all jacked up. Yeah, that's that's uh, it's DefCon Five Christmas time around here with a four year old. Well, almost four. So yeah, that's busy, busy. I work the next couple days, and thankfully I have Christmas off. I have to work Christmas Eve and then tomorrow, but. Um, yeah, looking forward to that. Uh, we got raffle tickets on our website. Get on there. Got a little uh, traditional archers of Oregon. Not just for you guys. None, none of the money goes to us. It's all going to traditional archers of Oregon. We're just trying to help them out because they're building a new website right now. Um, I think they're putting an ad in traditional bow hunter and stuff, but they're selling a max of three hundred raffle tickets or twenty bucks a piece. The details are in there to win an African hunt. So Hunt the Sun. Know yeah. what it is, hunt. hunt the Sun. Guy was yeah. awesome to donate that hunt. He's gonna be speaking at our banquet in February, but you do not have to be at the banquet. You do not have to be present to win. We'll uh Riley will send you a raffle ticket and your name will be in the hat. Just get on there. It's super easy. Go to our shop page, scroll through there. I put it on there. I'm not the greatest computer guy, so it, it's on there below our hats and stuff and just click on it. And yeah. And if you guys are listening, Archers of Oregon, man, it's a great organization. Doesn't matter where you live. Even if you live back East, get on there and they'll have their new website up. I think they're going to launch it about our banquet time to where you can right now, if you, if you call them or I think there's a way to, to join the traditional Archers of Oregon through like PayPal. I think it's like 20 bucks a year, 25 bucks a year, but if you, you know, want to join an organization to help out, you know, just like Compton, join Traditional Archers of Oregon too. So, cause we're, yeah. uh, we're doing a lot of good things to help out traditional archery no matter where you live. So, uh, yeah, we'll, get on there and support them. Yep. We can, you can be a member for no matter where you're at. And, you know, you should also look into your own local, uh, state run traditional based organization. Most states have them and you should support them. Um, if you guys are listening and you are in Oregon or willing to, uh, you know, come up or down 
or over. Uh, we've got a, uh, uh, banquet, as Bob said, first Saturday of February. Um, if you're on the fence and you want to get into trad or you just don't got a mentor, this is a great place to come meet me and Bob. Uh, we can figure out where you're living and we can introduce you to somebody that lives near you in Oregon and get you a mentor, get you started. Um, just a really good place to break the ice and come meet some really good guys. Um, so yeah, you, if you're already a member and you just haven't been to one of these, uh, take the time. We, we'd love to meet you. Uh, we'd love to, uh, get guys out. It's, it's a, it's a lot of fun, something to do. Bring the wife, bring the kids. It's a, it's a good event. Yeah. During the day, just so you guys know, it's, it's pretty low key. We have a few seminars. I'm actually, they wrote me into doing one. So I'm going to be kind of going over, uh, Western state applications and, and all that good stuff um, during the day. But, yeah, make it a date night with the wife. That's what I do every year. I get a I get a babysitter, and we go to the banquet dinner and and get a hotel close by. All that information is on Traditional Archers Oregon website. You can go on there and see uh, the lodging, and they usually give a discount. You know, if you call the hotel that they have on there, get a little discount. And, Come hang out with us, man. It's a good time. We need, uh, yeah. we need younger guys there. So me and Carson and James and Andy and all the boys will be there hanging out and Definitely. come support it. Absolutely. And, uh, we, we do put on a couple shoots a year. And if you are interested in the shoots, you can go to TAO's website, click on the calendar events and you can see when those shoots are. Stick and Sage, I think. Uh, I think it's in June. We got the Brownsville, Pope Young. Do a um, golf shoot thing in April is the first one. Yeah. A little, little uh, we go over to the White River management area. We do a little conservation project for them and then we play a little archery golf and, and, uh, that's our first one out of the gate. And the Pope and Young, that's a good one. That's middle of summer. Um, that's always a fun one, kind of right before hunting season, broadhead shoot. Yep. Uh, speaking of broadhead shoot, longbow safari, uh, We'll be up in Canada this year. I think it's just right over the border from Washington. And I had so much fun at that. Um, I definitely am going to try to make it to that one. Um, I don't know what else has got, what, I mean, what else is going on? Well, tag applications are starting. January, Boom, tag. January yeah. will be, uh, what, Wyoming and Arizona. We just passed Alaska was in December. So, yeah, it's time to start planning for next year, that's for sure. If you want to hunt spring bear in Oregon, the southwest tag is now going to be a draw tag. It's not going to be a first-come, oh, first-serve. We're switching that to draw now, huh? Do you know yeah, how, many, how many tags are they giving out? Is it the same no, amount? Because didn't they have I, a cap before? They had like a 2,500 cap that was running out like in just like 10 days last year. So they're going to go to a draw and I heard that's going to be the same amount of tags, okay. but it was just kind of confusing for people that yeah. it was running out so fast. Um, but it is an early draw. The, the bear tags is not your May 15th. I don't know when it is. Is it February 15th? It's somewhere in there. I'd have to look it up, but yeah, it is going to be a draw for Southwest. So for the guys that uh, want to hunt bears in the spring, you need to be, uh, you know, if you go buy a sports pack here in Oregon, they'll ask you if you want a fall or spring bear. And, you know, I usually say both, but I'll do the spring application right, right out the gate and get that taken care of. Yep. Um, Let's see what else we got. Colorado. I don't know if you guys saw our Instagram post, but if you live in Colorado or hunt Colorado, they're, 
they're talking about changing some of their regulations. Um, listen to Aaron, Aaron and uh, Steve Hildy and Harold Firenbrook were on there talking about it. I did call that Steve Hildy yesterday and talked to him for quite a while. He's a super nice guy. He's like the liaison for the Colorado Bow Hunters Association, and and they're looking at changes over there. And and uh, yeah, get involved, go to the meeting. I think there's a meeting in January to comment on it. And uh, yeah, before we lose lose, looks like we might lose some general seasons. I don't know. Steve said that they talked about it five years ago too, and nothing happened. But but uh, yeah get in and support and we're doing what we can kind of behind the scenes just starting to work with some organizations to propose some more of these hunts and stuff like that so get involved we're starting to i know like uh was vernella say you know you take you take you take but try to give back a little bit and make some changes yeah and if you guys have any questions about any of this stuff pertaining to this stuff feel free to give uh, me and bob an email and we'll do our best to you know, at least tell you what we know or point you in the right direction if there's something you want to do in your state. Um, so, you know, we're just here to help. That's, that's the whole purpose of this podcast is to, is to grow traditional bow hunting. Uh, the star of the show is the longbow and the recurve and we want opportunity, uh, for everybody. So that's, that's, uh, pretty much it in a nutshell. Heck yeah. So, uh, yeah, enjoy our uh, conversation with Brian Morris. Do we got the Blacktail Pro Staff Pro Athlete, Brian Morris? Don't be jealous. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get up this morning and do a couple hundred burpees? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> you probably ran like a nine-mile mountain run yeah. in the dark before that? Oh, Absolutely. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. That's what us athletes do. <laughs> uh, and you got all your Yeti in? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, awesome. So what's going on, Brian? How, how have you been, man? I've been good. I've been good. Been busy and working and hunting and and uh, taking care of my daughter, daughter off to college and and uh, just been trying to stay busy. How are you guys doing? I can't complain. Living the dream. Yeah. So yeah, I've been seeing. Looks like you had a pretty good uh, deer hunting season. Um, maybe tell us a, a little bit about how that how that works down there in California and and how it went for you this year. Yeah, I had a I had a start to a great season. I uh, our uh, California blacktail uh, deer season. Probably one of the earliest hunts, um, probably anywhere. It's uh, July, the second weekend in July, and uh, you know it's just it's you know it's just a great time of year for me. I love it. Um, you know the deer, you know sometimes they're velveted up, sometimes they're you know got all their their uh, velvet stripped off their horns, and it's uh. uh I just love hunting this ranch that I get to hunt. I got to hunt about a, I don't know, it's about 4,200 acre ranch. Nobody hunts it but me. So it's like a, it's like a deer paradise. <laughs> nice. uh, and I'm yeah, jealous. It's, yeah. And it's, uh, it's right on the south end of Napa Valley. Um, and it's just beautiful, beautiful rolling hills and it's surrounded by 
you know, all the lower countries, vineyards, and it's got little oak tree pockets. And it's mostly, it's mostly like real benchy material with, with big like uh, landslides and stuff. And these big flat benches with pickleweed and mustards. And they got these wild artichokes with these big purple heads on them. And you get into these benches and, you know, they're four feet to 12 feet tall of, of just really tight, you know, congested uh, brush and stuff. And uh, those deer just love getting in that stuff. You know, you'd think they'd be in the oak trees in the shade, but I'll watch them walk across a, you know, a grassy hillside that's, you know, two or three, you know, feet high with grass. And they'll just walk right into those, uh, you know, the pickleweed thickets and mustards and stuff like that. And they'll just, they'll flop down and they'll spend the whole day there. Um, nice. So hey, that's why um, the typical. The, what, what about the horn growth? You said that sometimes they're rubbed out by mid-July. Do they, do they shed in December then? Are they shedding now? I mean, does that, is it just an earlier cycle down there? Yeah, no, they don't, they don't start dropping their horns until usually like February. I see them you know, where they've dropped, uh, you know, and by turkey season, second, third week of March, I start to see the, you know, little nubs. But, uh, no, they don't seem to be, you know, they just seem to be on an earlier cycle as far as, uh, you know, their, hor- their horns. Like opening opening day, I sat there and watched these two little bucks. One of them was hard horn. One of them was as fat. He was tearing apart this little piece of poison oak as fast as he could with his, with his uh, you know, headgear. And it was just, it, the horns were just, you know, shredded and velvet hanging off. And, and, uh, that was opening, opening day. Our, well, our deer, our deer will rut like September 5th through the 15th, the 9th, right in there. It's going hot and heavy all through September. Wow. Um, and it's just, it's not like that everywhere in California, but for some reason, right along that area in the coast, uh, you know, the gun hunters really, really pile them up, uh, that time of year because they're, they're chasing it's, it's you know our our coastal a season the gun hunters have a really good advantage uh to sh- to get the hunt you know the deer in the rut um and they shoot some really big bucks around you know the napa area and the coast and stuff like that um because they're just coming out of you know you know they hide all year right and that they're you know the big boys are might be in a real thick pocket of poison oak living or oak tree thickets where they don't come out till right at dark but you know, comes middle of September, they're laying out on open hillsides and running and chasing, and they're just they're kind of all over. Yeah, we we had you on um, back uh, episode thirty six, and we got into talking about that early rut, and I'm still like super puzzled by it. But now that makes a lot of sense that they're rubbing out early because that's like the beginning of the testosterone, and so since they rub out early, of course they would rut early. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, we, we had, a we had, a, you know, end of August, I had, you know, you could usually tell by the acorns and you know, by what kind of winter it's going to be. And, you know, if the acorns are dropping and you could see them on the trees and, you know, the acorns on the ranch look like, you know, you know, your thumb size acorns, they're, they're just huge. And I could see that in August and I thought, man, I, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be good and early and, uh, you know, the coast there's, it's, it's a, it's really is a different hunt in California because it's, you know, we get the coastal fog, you know, like you guys get, and it's just, it's a heavy cold fog. I'm wearing super down in wool in the middle of July on a morning hunt 
and I could be socked in with fog all day or till 10, 11 o'clock until it blows over. Um, and that, that really, that really helps me be successful on the ranch, you know, where I'm hunting. Um, it's, you know, the, the grass is quiet. The leaves are quiet. You're walking on it's, uh, and the wind's ripping all the time. So there's no, you know, prevailing winds on this ranch where I hunt. They, they're blowing out of the West all the time. <laughs> they're blowing downhill. Nice. Uphill, it doesn't matter. They're all coming from the same direction. So and I've been hunting there since I think 88, 88 or 89 is the first year I was invited out to the ranch. And now it's just me and the rancher who hunt it. And, uh, I see, I don't know, 20, 25 different bucks a season. Um, Dang. and some dandies. And I'm not super picky. I like a good, if I can get a, make a nice stock on something and get a good, clean, ethical shot, I'll usually take it if it's a small fork and horn or a nice big, you know, three point or four point or whatever. So what's the tactic? Is it all spot and stock for the most part? Uh, it's all spot and stock. I, I always put up a couple tree stands every year that, that I have on some really good trails and I've sat there and it's, it's productive, but it, I'll be sitting in a tree stand looking up at the open country, looking at deer walking around. And I, I get out, <laughs> I get out and get up to a high point. And, <clears throat> you know, I've, I, sh- I think I've killed one buck on the ranch and all the years I've been hunting there out of a tree stand. And it was, uh, it was one of those deals that I put the stand up and I was there 15 minutes and all of a sudden here comes this little string of bucks and I shot one and went, Oh, that was easy. And I, but I can't, and the stand's still there. It's in a poison oak thicket that, <laughs> Uh, knock, knock on wood, I've never gotten poison oak, and the ranch is loaded with it. I mean, the deer will live in bed in the poison oak, you know, thickets. Um, I've had friends come out that help me, you know, drag out a deer, and the next day they're covered head to toe going, thanks, buddy, you know, with poison oak. But <laughs> so yeah, that never, was, I haven't seemed to get it. That was my next question. I know uh, my good buddy Joaquin, he hunts north of you, and he hunts in pure poison oak thickets and I was supposed to go hunt with them last year and it didn't work out. And the more I hear about this poison oak he's hunting in, I'm not going to go hunt with him. No, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's not happening. Well, I think if you just, uh, if you go through it and wear gloves and take some precaution, you'll be fine. But I, uh, I don't know why I have never gotten it, but maybe now that I'm talking about it, I'll be covered in head to toe with it. But did you I don't eat even, it? I don't hear yeah, Carson eats it. That's what you should start doing, James. So, so did Joaquin. Joaquin says he eat, he ate it too as a kid. Ate poison oak. Now they would no, eat little know, pieces of it to get immune to it. I've never done that. I I was a about I don't know, several years ago as a volunteer, part paid fireman, and when I was starting to work with the city and trying to figure out what career path I was going to do and. One of my very first fire calls I went to, it was a, uh, the guy was burning brush and he was burning poison oak and he couldn't speak English. And when we got there, he looked like he was going to blow up. His head was getting so big from the poison oak, from the smoke. And I thought, yeah, it's nothing to mess with. I don't think I'd eat it. (laughs) If we've got a, if we've got a biologist listening, uh, yeah, send us an email. Let us know if this is a fact or fiction. Can you can you eat poison oak to get immune to it? I mean, it sounds far fetched to me. Yeah, I don't think I'd try. <laughs> yeah, you can you can uh, grind it up and mix it into a smoothie. Yeah, no, the yeah. first part of that poison 
oak. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's stay away from it. Yeah. I, I, uh, I get it when I go down and hunt Southern Oregon, I seem to get it on my hands and then anything I touch, you know, like I gotta go to the bathroom or whatever, I end up getting it. So it's not fun. I don't like it. Yeah. No, but the deer, no, it's not good stuff, it, right? They love it. Uh, I, I've seen deer nibbling on it. I've, I've sat in a tree stand and had, um, I had a little spike two years ago and I watched him. He came in and he was right under the stand and I was sitting there looking at him and, and I, I saw him, I thought he was going to walk by me and I was kind of looking out. There was some other deer with him and I think some smaller bucks or something. I was watching him and I kind of looked down. I'm like, what is he still doing there? And he was eating it. He was eating some of the limbs or some of the little smaller, uh, leaves and stuff off it. I'm like, he is sure he is eating poison oak. So I don't know. I've never seen another one do it, to be honest with you, but you know, maybe they graze on it all the time and I don't know. Maybe it doesn't affect them, but. Um, I won't eat it, <laughs> but, uh, but it's, you know, it's everywhere that, you know, country on the ranch where I'm hunting, it's, there's big, there's in the oak thickets themselves and some of the little knobs and stuff where, where there's a lot of sunshine, it seems like, or sunlight on the North facing slopes, those seem to have more of it. Uh, and it's, it's super thick. I mean, you look at it and you go, I'm not going through that jungle. I, I've went to the, over the years, there's deer trails through some of it where I like to do some still hunting and some stocks during the rut, uh, if I still have a tag, but I'll go through earlier, which is probably not smart, but I'll go through those same trails earlier in the season with my little clippers. Like I know you guys have done on the coast for blackberry bushes and I'll clip some of that stuff out of the way out ahead of me and just let it drop and hit the ground. And uh, that's probably the worst thing you could do because the juices and, you know, stuff from uh, the poison oak, could, I'm sure that's what would get you. But Oh, man, I was, got me yet. I was working with one of my coworkers uh, doing some uh, salmon habitat work, and he got the machete out. And I was like, dude, that's poison oak. Why do you want to blaze through that? Let's hike around it. He goes, oh, it'll be fine, man. Yeah. He looked like the elephant man the next day. Yeah. That's bad I've news. People, I, I've had people close to it that I went hunting with and looked at them and, and they've had it almost instantly. So I know it's some people are, you know, it, it's, I'm glad it doesn't bug me that much uh, at all, really. But uh, some people are real sensitive to it. So, so that's not, it's nothing to mess with. I mean, I mean, you shoot a deer in that country and you start putting your hand on it and taking pictures and you go, how did I get poison oak? I wasn't even in it, but you know, the deer are in it all the time. So, right. But, right. Uh, so, you know, it's not, it's not like that on the whole ranch. I mean, we got, you know, there's oak trees, there's some little grease, you know, we call it grease woods, these little scrub oaks, and you get little pockets of them in these draws that, you know, they grow about 10, 12 feet tall in these little cuts, and you know, there's just a little deer paradise underneath there. You know, they got bedding areas, and you, I mean, you can't see them once they go in there. You know, I've sat for, out, you know, five, six, seven hours over a bedding area and finally go, okay, I'm just going to leave, or I'll come back another day, or, you know, wait till dark, and sometimes they won't come out till right at dark, so... um I like to concentrate on, uh, you know, finding them out in the open on the ranch and find them in the, uh, in the saddles and the benches that are covered with, uh, you know, the, 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 there's literally mustards and, you know, some pickleweed and, uh, these artichoke thickets. And they're so thick that I like to concentrate on those. And sometimes I'll just sit there for hours with a spotting scope and, you know, sit there for two or three hours, the fog lifts and, you know, you just sit there and glass and glass and glass and one night stand up for, two minutes and three minutes and stretch and eat a little bit and lay right back down. And, 
you know, you just, you just got to be there, you know? And, uh, I always know where they're at. It's just how much patience or how much time do I have in the day to, to sit there and see where exactly they're at. Um, uh, I'll have to send you guys some photos later of, uh, of some of the country that I'm on. It's just, you know, it's just super open and rolly and, you know, it's, um, and some of that stuff gets really tall. Yeah, you guys get two tags, right? We get two tags. I usually use one for the coast, and I go up to Northern California on a hunt with uh, the with the gentleman who owns the ranch. Um, he has a cabin up up around Lake Almanor, and that used to be really good. And we always go up there, you know, for a weekend, just kind of out of tradition. But uh, there's there's really no that that you know there's not that many deer in that area anymore. You know, there used to be hundreds of them. We used to sit in a tree stand, see 40, 50 deer a day walking by our stands when I was a you know first started hunting. But uh, what, what what changed? Um, I don't know. It's 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 heavily logged. Uh, I think that has kind of moved them around a little bit. I mean, our logging is a little different than yours. You know, um, they don't just clear cut little areas and pockets. They they wipe out the woods for miles. Um, I think that's had a lot to do with it. Uh, I think the deer herd is uh, still there and around. I think it's just you know to the north of us which we don't, we just don't get that far. You know, that yeah. strip is more of a, we hang out at the cabin and play horseshoes and, you know, eat a lot and, you know, do a little hunting in the morning, a little hunting in the evening and just, you know, sit around and visit with all the old timers. So, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, my, uh, I was, I was successful on, uh, in Napa this year. Um, I think it was the second week of the season. I kept going out every night checking the spot like because i saw a couple big bucks right before season a big a big three-pointer had one horn a big forking horn and another big forking horn and he just looked super heavy up top but right the like first weekend i think it was opening weekend when i saw them the big forking horn looked like he was super heavy on the top but he had all of his velvet was hanging it was like hanging off of the tips and i'm like boy they all they all look nice i mean I mean, the one-horned three-pointer was, I bet he was would have been a 23-inch wide buck if he had both horns. I mean, he was really unbelievable. And he just didn't, he didn't have a horn on his right side. It was, it was just smooth and flat. He just had one horn growing out of the left side of his head. And um, I found them, uh, I think I went out on a, the second weekend of the season, just went out real quick. It was super foggy. I could see the, you know, the fog bank from my house and, I thought oh, I'll go out about 10 o'clock today and I'll hunt middle of the day. And once everything gets up and starts, starts moving around and see if I can, uh, you know, catch something out. So I went to my spot where I was waiting for those bucks all year and looking for them. And, and I got up there and I, boy, I no sooner walked over the hill and I looked straight down and here, here they all are feeding and grass. It's like, like three foot tall and they're heading for that really tall, you know, pickleweed patch. And, uh, I just took off. I just slithered right down the hill. And I mean, I went for 150 yards straight down the hillside on my butt, just kind of sliding right towards them. Every time they lift their head, I'd stop. And I, then when they put their heads down, they'd all be feeding and they couldn't see me. I mean, when they put their head down in the grass, they were totally covered. So I would just slide, 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 slide. And, uh, I got down in that, that stuff and they, they all came walking in that, 
that that pickleweed stuff. And I bet you, when they first start walking in there, it looked like it was three to four feet above their head. I mean, it's, the stuff is that tall and thick, and they like, you know, they're like little bulldozers. They're in there trying to move it around, and it's super thick, and they kind of push their way through it, and they stop for a minute. And uh, it's really amazing that they would go in that that thick stuff like that. But uh, anyway, I stood there for 45 minutes, and they were all 20 yards to five yards at times, and I couldn't get a shot. And finally, one of them, what I thought was a big, wide fork and horn, he come walking through an area where another buck had kind of mowed down the area already, and he stopped right in that kind of quartered away from me. And uh, I started to draw, and I was, I don't know what, came over me but i started shaking so bad i just let down i let the bow down and i could look out over this on the hill i was at looking out over this lake and i just sat there for like a minute kind of keeping an eye on him and looking out trying to settle my nerves and he just stood there just stood there never just look kind of looking down the hill and really just gave me the perfect opportunity and after about a minute i came full draw and made a nice shot on him and and uh he only went about, I don't know, 60 yards and I watched him go down. So, and all the other bucks, that stuff is so thick and so noisy with the wind. The other bucks never knew he was shot. Never, they never stopped feeding. Wow. It was, it was unbelievable. If I'd had two tags, I could have shot two really dandies, um, you know, for that area. But I, uh, I sat there for about 45 minutes. Then I started shaking and panicking, you know, <laughs> then the buck fever really sat in that. I saw this nice, big, heavy, heavy buck go down and I get over there to him and he's a four pointer. All that trash he had, there was just globs of velvet in his, in his horns. And, uh, I've been hunting that ranch since 88 and I've seen one other four point buck. And, uh, I, maybe I would have just totally, you know, fallen apart if I'd known it was a four pointer, but, uh, yeah, he was a nice three by four, super heavy, you know, nice eye guards and, uh, he was he was a damn thing. He was probably one of the best bucks I've taken off the ranch. Way cool. What kind of body size uh, did those bucks have? That deer had um, the older those. I mean, there's some small black-tailed deer on the ranch that you know they're 90 pounds soaking wet. But I had 122 pounds of of meat hanging at the meat locker. He was a big wow. he's a big deer. Well, he's and probably 200. Huh? You know, maybe. I mean, he, he could have been, I mean, he was, when I cut into that thing and, uh, when I started to gut him, I mean, the fat just, I mean, it was like two or three inches thick. I mean, that's, that's probably one of the biggest, biggest body deer and nicest bucks I've shot on the ranch. And, you know, since 88, 89, um, I've killed some other bucks at, you know, bigger horns and heavier and stuff, but this guy had it all. I mean, when he ran out there, the first thing I thought was, I just saw, I just saw a little mule deer, <laughs> you know, it just it looked like such a huge body. Um, but, uh, and you know what, I tell you what, blacktail, these deer on the coast here for some reason, I mean, I've had a lot of deer in a lot of places. It, it's some of the best meat I've ever had. I thought yeah. whitetail was my favorite, but the, the coastal deer in Napa Valley are unbelievable. Yeah. I cannot get enough of blacktail meat. Coastal blacktail are my favorite by far. Uh, what about, um, his teeth? I mean, what, what age do you think? I mean, was he pretty mature? Did he have a, I, I think he was like a four or five year old buck. Uh, 
I mean, his, yeah. uh, his, 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 his teeth were pretty ground down. He could have been older. Um, I, uh, I actually have a skull. Um, uh, I'm waiting on a taxidermist to call and say, Hey, bring them your next, uh, uh, but I had a skull and the horns in the freezer. So when he mounts them, I'm going to cut the, you know, cut the bottom jaw off and, and, uh, you know, boil it out, but, um, and have one of my buddies that works for a fishing game. He's a biologist. Have him take a look at it, see what he thinks. But yeah, I, th- I think, I think five, something like that. You can pull that bottom, bottom incisor out and I think it's $15 and they can age them. Oh, really? Yeah, the bottom bottom jaw incisor, you just pull it out before you boil it, and you can uh, yeah. send it in. I can try to get you that address if you, if you care to, and, and they'll they'll give yeah, you the no. no, I do because I don't. Uh, I'm not good at aging. You know, I just went on a whitetail hunt to Texas with a friend of mine's, uh, a late friend of mine's son. I I they had a hunt planned, and I'm sitting there in the tree stand. I've never hunted South Texas or you know the style that they do, and you know there's feeders and stuff like that, and you know, it was a youth hunt, so all the kids, you know, got the hunt. And I'm taking pictures, going, "How about this one? How about that one?" And they're like, "Nope, two-year-old, nope. You know, three-year-old, nope. Oh, yeah, that one's just five, six-year-old." You know, I'm like, you know, just by body size and stuff like that. I mean, you could tell, I guess, when you, you know, when the big one steps out. But I, uh, you know, they were aging them just by, you know, just by their look and their posture. And I'm like, okay, I can't. I've shot a lot of deer over the years, but. I guess I can't figure that out because I thought I've shot some older bucks with, you know, bigger horns and that's not always the case. So, right. Uh, so you've hunted black tails for a long time and white tails for a long time and mule deer for a long time. Do you have a preference? I'd hunt black tails on this ranch if I could for ever. I mean, that's, <laughs> you know, that's, that's my favorite. Um, but, I say that, but mule deer would be my second, would be the second. I love hunting mule deer in sage country. I, uh, I drew a Nevada tag this year and, um, went over there and hunted. And, um, I love that. I love stalking mule deer and in a sagebrush. Um, love the smell of it. Love the junipers. And I just fell in love with that many years ago. How long have you been hunting Nevada for? I think I drew my first Nevada tag and I think it was 91 or 92 is the first time I thought I should go try over there and, and ended up drawing a tag. I remember mess, me and my dad went, I remember, remember we applied and we did something wrong in the application. So they reject our application. So then we resubmitted, then we were 50 cents short and then we reapplied again and we still got the tag and there was only two tags for the unit. And, uh, we ran out of arrows. <laughs> we ran out of arrows that, that, that week we ran out, we were shooting wooden arrows and if they weren't breaking, they were, we were losing them in the brush. We had more opportunities at bucks, big bucks, small bucks. Um, I think we ended up doubling the last day of our hunt. Um, and it was like a weekend later we had gone home. It was only three hours from where I live in California. We ended up going home you know, getting more arrows and going back for a weekend hunt. And my dad sat at a waterhole blind and I stalked some bucks and I went to go get him and he was out of the blind looking around and, uh, going. And I thought, Oh, he must've got some. So I walked down there and as I'm walking down to him, I looked down the draw and I see this white belly and I went, 
foot tie through my glasses up. I'm like, that's a dead deer laying there. So I walked down and talked to him. I said, you shoot one? He goes, yeah. He said, I think I hit it, make a good shot. I said, well, there's a, a deer laying 40 yards from you dead. So that must be it. And he shot a spike that was probably 14 inches tall. And I got one that was about 13 inches tall. We doubled on spikes our last day. Nice. <laughs> so that was our, that was our first year hunting in Nevada. And, uh, but we'd missed, you know, 180 inch bucks, 160 inch bucks, 120 inch. I mean, would, I mean, we literally ran out of arrows. We, I think we went home after a week and we both had just a couple arrows in our quiver. Um, and it was, it was, and we had, we went, you know, you go, you know, you go on a hunt and you usually have way too many, right? You got a box of arrows and a dozen and a half. And we went through them and we shot 15, 20 shots a piece. And we were spraying arrows with our recurves all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good time right there yeah matter of fact i the, the area i drew this year was the same area that me and my dad drew i've been i, I hunted in a bunch and and then i don't know over the years people you know they catch on to areas and uh i've always liked it it's a it's uh it's an area that only it only gives you two tags it's not a great area but there's always pockets of deer and there's always pockets of deer to i mean they're not everywhere but you could find them. And when you find them, they're just there every day. Uh, as soon as you figure out where they're living last year, I went in there and, and looked around, you know, with a friend and he killed a really nice buck in there and, um, uh, thought I'm going to try it again. And I think I had eight points this year. I haven't been able to draw it. I think eight years I would try to draw it. And I, I walked out and drew a tag and got to hunt some of the same country. Me and my dad hunted, um, you know, back in nine, I think it was 92 was the first year we hunted there. And, um, and, uh, saw some really nice bucks and, you know, the problem with that area now is there's so many wild horses. Uh, so, um, and there's just development everywhere and there's wild horses everywhere and there's, you know, people out, uh, you know, shooting guns and, you know, it's all on, you know, BLM property. So, you know, the weekends or the evenings, there's people out shooting dirt bikes, ATVs, UTVs, it's, it's everywhere. So, you know, I tried to, it's, it's gotten tougher to get away from a, a lot of that. And, uh, but, you know, I found, I got in there this year and found a, I don't know, two or three pockets of deer and some nice bucks. And I think, um, I think it was about the fourth day of the season. I saw some really nice bucks. Some, I mean, some 180 inch bucks or bigger probably. Saw one big seven by five that, uh, I mean, he was incredible, and I I couldn't get a stock falling around forever, and just could never get a stock, uh, you know, or a shot opportunity. He just never, he just never stopped moving, and eventually ended up in a you know juniper thicket that I don't even know where he went. I walked, sat up there for hours waiting and looking, and never saw him, never saw him, you know, come out of there. But uh, I think the fourth day of the season, I found a a pocket of bucks. I think there was 18 or 19 bucks in a bunch and I chased them around, played cat and mouse with them most of the day and they'd bed and they'd, then they'd get up and run up over the hill and bed. And, uh, you know, I'd try and sneak in and blow a stock and, and they'd take off. And I was, uh, um, up on top of this mountain and it was, I don't know, about two hours before dark. And I thought I'm done for the day. I'm wilted. I'm tired was out of water and I started, I started coming down the road and I looked up on the hill on this ridge and here comes that string of bucks 
coming down the hill, heading for water. There was a, uh, this willow patch down along the edge of the road that had water. And I'd seen a lot of deer there before. And I remember we just threw the truck and park and I run down the road and get in the willows and, and, uh, here they come <laughs> and they got in there, I don't know, 15, 20 yards. And I, uh, I, uh, I, 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 I kind of boogered it by missing. <laughs> so I shot at the, I shot at the lead buck and missed and I went up the hill and started feeding again in his pocket. And I ran up the hill and kind of came around on him and, and, uh, they just kind of fed by me. I just, I lucked out. I think that's where that athlete part comes in. So <laughs> I, I, I ran up, I ran up this hill and uh, I was pretty winded when I got to the top and it was, I don't know, three, 400 yards. I mean, they went a long ways and you get up top and they were just, they were heading for the saddle and they were just milling around feeding. And, uh, and, uh, one, this doe caught me. And, uh, I remember listening to one of your podcasts a while back with, uh, Jim Akins from the, the, the lost wallet. And, uh, she caught me and I just kind of like put my head down and walked back over the hill. Like, Oh, I'm looking somewhere else. I don't see you, you know, and kind of walked over and went up another hundred yards and came up and she, she had already went back to feeding. And, uh, I just happened to walk out and they walked, they almost single file. They walked right by me about 15 yards and got a nice shot at a, you know, four point buck, uh, nice, nice three by four and, you know, made a nice shot on him and, and, uh, he only went about about twenty yards and was able to watch him watch him go down. So, um, but yeah, Nevada hunting mule deer, uh, or even Oregon, I've hunted Heart Mountain there, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, and that's you know that's some of my you know favorite times. Yeah, you're planning on going back to Heart Mountain, aren't you? Yeah, I went uh, a couple of years ago on a on a landowner tag. My uh, I have an aunt that's elderly, and she. I'm always helping her out and trying to take her dinner. I still do it. And, um, she had a friend that knew an outfitter in Oregon and we got to talking one night and then she was talking about Oregon and hunting heart mountain. And he's like, Oh, I got a friend that hunts there and guides there. And I'm like, okay, well, whatever. You know, you know, you hear, you talk to people about hunting all the time and he goes, oh, I could probably get you a tag. I'm like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I didn't think nothing of it. My aunt called me two days later. Said, hey, she's like, Hey, would you come down? I got something for you. And, came down she goes uh i don't have anything yet for you but i wrote a check so i hope you can go to heart mountain this year i wrote a check and paid for a tag and uh you know through this outfitter and she goes i got you the heart mountain tag i said what and i guess it was like right around the, the right time but you know and i think he had to apply for it you know and uh yeah he was able to get it so, awesome. so i got to go hunt uh i got to go hunt heart mountain a few years ago and and i got to keep all my points so I think I have 17 deer points and antelope points for there. So, uh, you guys, you hunted Dave Brinker. Sorry, go ahead. Stop. Uh, sorry, go I ahead. Say, you guys, you guys probably know Dave Brinker. I went with, he went with me, uh, and Dave Dorn was in camp and, and Walt and Eric, uh, Erickson and, uh, we had a good group of guys and, uh, a uh, great, a great group of guys. Yeah. And, uh, so that was a fun time. And I was able to shoot a nice buck with, uh, with Dave. Uh, and, uh, so me and Dave are gonna, you know, you know, hopefully apply and hopefully draw it this year. So. Are you, now did you hunt the first hunt, the early August hunt? I hunted the first hunt. Um, man, there was, man, there was guys everywhere because you had the animal hunters, the deer hunters and, um, you know, but what, 
what I saw, I think the only people walking around were me and Dave in the hills. I mean, I don't, I didn't see another, another hunter in the woods. They were all sitting in their truck and glassing and, you know, I, I didn't see a lot of deer. It's, I don't think it's like it used to be there, but. No, it's uh, not. We saw some nice, yeah, we saw some nice bucks and not, we didn't see any huge monsters. I don't, I don't think most guys would want to go there because they're anymore guys are, you know, trophy hunting and, um, I like to find a lot of deer. And like I said, if I, you know, get a nice stock on a nice big fork and horn, I'd, I'd be happy with that. So, um, I'm not too picky. So my friends make fun of me all the time. I, I pass a stink in on four or five bucks and there's 160 inch buck and I end up shooting a little big fork and horn. They're like, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm like, I, Hey, get, he gave me a shot. <laughs> he so wanted wanna, to die. Yeah. I want to, I like the, I like, I, I you know, I'm a, I hunt year round and for pigs and deer and turkeys. And, you know, for me, that's, uh, there's not a whole lot I buy for, uh, you know, meat at the store. And, uh, so I, I, I like to, you know, I like to eat on that year round. So. Now going back to Nevada, I know you drew a, a coveted Nevada elk tag a few years back. Were you uh, being picky on that hunt or were you uh, just uh, going for the first bull you could get on? You know, I, I was, my buddy that I went with, Gary Wright, he said, you can't shoot a five point bull the first day. <laughs> well, the first, the first elk I saw, he said, you can't shoot a five point bull or smaller or something like that the first day. I said, okay, whatever. And the first place he took me to, we walked up to the hill, rode our four wheelers up to the spot. And he says, I used to have a blind down here. Let's go down there and take a look at it. You might want to hunt it. There's a wallow. We come over the hill to the wallow and we're on a, we're on an elk trail. And straight down the bottom of the hill, 150 yards away, here's this bull elk wallowing in the wallow that he says we should have a, a stand in. And it's a dandy five point. And it's got, I mean, all of its tines are like 12 to 14 inches. I'm like, uh, I'm going to go shoot that bull. He goes, it's only a five point. It's the first day. I said, it's standing like five yards off of an elk trail that the wind's in my favor. I could sneak down there. You know, in between the junipers, I could probably shoot him as he's wallowing. And, uh, he goes, you promised. And I'm like, he said, you gotta, he said, yeah, you don't want to fill your tag the first day. And I'm like, yes, I do. <laughs> but, uh, so I sat there and I still think about that today. I thought that's one of the biggest five point bulls I've ever seen. And, uh, I thought he was pushing 300 as a five point bull. And I went, man, I would have loved to shot that bull. But no, after that, I, uh, I drew that. I don't remember what year it was. I just, I, it was seven years ago. I, I know this year because they changed it. I could start applying for that again. Uh, I drew, uh, I was over in Ely, uh, hunting and I drew the 111, 115 tag or whatever it is. And I, I think at the time it was, it was good for like some 200 series areas. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think my second day hunting, we found this bull that ended up scoring like 370 i didn't shoot it um it was the this guy found the sheds and roughed it at like 370 but it was a it was a white bull um and that thing was incredible and i kind of focused on wanting to shoot that elk uh like albino white right you know he was no he yeah kind of i mean he was white white but he had uh kind of a chocolate chocolate legs and he had this chocolate patch on his face and kind of looked like a little caribou wow. with an elk rack. Um, I don't know. 
I, I know Norm did a little video thing on the site, but I think he, I don't think he put that in there, but I got some really cool pictures of that bull through the video camera when I was like 10 yards from him, like in the juniper thicket, like my last, I chased that thing for 10 days. And, and, uh, on the last day that I could hunt, I had to go home. I, I, I watched him bed and, and these cliffs and he had, I don't know, 20, 30 cows, calves, you know, he had a, there was a huge herd and all these little satellite bulls trying to get, you know, close to him. And several days, several days, up to that point, I could have shot a lot of other smaller bulls, and I normally would have, but I really, I mean, I just, I thought, man, I really want to get that bull, and uh, so I, I was able to stalk him in some cliffs and some junipers the last day I came. I went, I, it took me an hour and a half to get around to where he was at. I didn't even know if he was going to be there when we got there, and I got down in there, then all of a sudden, you know, I'm like tiptoeing down these, these cliffs, and it was like this these bench like like rock cliffs that went down and it went all the way down this this hill for like a quarter mile probably and i get about halfway down it and i look over and i see this cow laying there she's like 50 yards she doesn't see me like oh okay well i'm they're still here somewhere so i i ended up catching his tines laying there and uh i got down to like i don't know 20 30 yards of them something like that and they kind of started to rustle around a little bit, you know, some were up feeding, some weren't, but they kind of all got on their feet. You know, maybe one winded me, went, maybe they didn't, but they didn't blow out of there. And I had him on one side of a juniper and I was on the other side and I could just see patches of white walking through it. And I was trying to cow call. And then I even bugled thinking maybe he'll come around and want to fight me. And as soon as I bugled, he just gathered up the cows and, and, you know, took off around this hill. And, um, uh, I think I spent the next three hours barefooted following them. And, uh, it, it was literally like two, three o'clock the afternoon of I'm leaving that night. And, uh, I got to this pocket where they were in some real thick, like madrones or something like that. And, um, uh, they started single filing out of there. He was the last one and he was probably, I'm guessing about 30 yards. And he stopped broadside. And be, when I released the first arrow, I don't think the first arrow hit before the fifth arrow was gone out of my quiver. <laughs> and he, and he never moved. <laughs> I was, sta- I was standing there with a judo in my quiver and all my arrows were high over his back and I could see him. I could see the chartreuse feathers. It was like I was shooting at a pie plate above him in this bank. <laughs> and he's just standing there looking at me. He never, he never moved. Oh. And just, I just went, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> and if I had just concentrated, you know, and totally caught me off guard, got me so rattled. Um, you de-quivered, so eventually, you de-quivered I'm, on him. I'm, I'm seeing a pattern I, I, here. Uh, in Nevada, you guys seem to de-quiver. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, yeah, I haven't done that a lot, but it's happened. <laughs> uh and he, he just shook me up. I mean, he was, I got in there close and man, it was a long, hot day and I was barefooted. I, I didn't even know where my pack or my buddy was at. I mean, I just, I never looked back once I started stalking him, you know? And, uh, I remember standing there with a judo and just, I think I even threw my bow down on the ground. I just went, you gotta be kidding me. I was so frustrated with myself and, and, uh, ended up driving all the way home that night and all the way back to Reno. And then I went back to California the next day and, 
went to work the next morning and my boss says, did you get an elk? And I said, nope. He goes, season's still open? I said, yep. He goes, I'm not going to let you work. He says, go back to Nevada. So the (laughs) next day, the next, it was a good boss. So the next day I turned around and went, drove all the way back. I think I was home two days, cleaned up and drove all the way back over there. And, uh, and there was elk everywhere. I mean, it was probably one of the best elk hunts I've ever been on. Um, and it's probably because I don't give a lot of tags and I didn't, see, I saw big horn sheep. I saw big bucks. I saw bulls every day. I saw antelope. I mean, it was, it was really a cool, cool place. And, uh, I pulled into a gas station to get gas early in the morning and I ran into this guy, uh, Trevor Marks was the same. He was an outfitter there, a guide. And uh, he said, you hunting? I said, yeah. He goes, got a tag? Yeah. Well, yeah, I have a tag. And he goes, I'm an outfitter. And he said, can I hunt with you today? And I said, uh, no, I'm not paying anything. <laughs> he goes, no, I just want to go hunting. He says, I'm going hunting anyway. I'm going to go call elk and take pictures of them all day long, whether I'm by myself or I'm with you. And I went, uh, well, sure. <laughs> so I had a, so I ended up going out hunting with him and we called in so many bulls that day. It was unbelievable. And we got blown opportunities. I had a the very first bull that came in. It was coming in, and I thought I was going to shoot him at like five yards, and it was this little five point raghorn. It wasn't big. It was not. I would have been very happy with him. And I catch out of the corner of my eye. Trevor move, and the bull whirls and takes off. I'm like, what was that? He goes, I waved him off. I said, what do you mean you waved him off? He goes, you don't want to shoot that bull. And I said, yes, I did. I wanted. To, I really wanted to shoot that bull. So, but, uh, you know, we, we chased bulls all day long. I mean, it seemed like every time he called or I called a bull answered and it was coming. I mean, it was, I, I don't know, 12 to 15 different bulls in that day that were within bow range, uh, where I couldn't get a shot or something was in the way or they went at us or, you know, I had a bull walk by me that I couldn't get a shot. And then when he got past, I was getting ready to shoot and he whirled and you know, he was a nice bull and, and, uh, I think later in the afternoon, we, you know, we heard uh, a bunch of bulls bugle and we had this five point runner across this little flat at us and he winded us and whirled and took off and another bull lit up and we went up, up over the hill and right, right in the middle of nowhere. I mean, we were, we were four or five miles, you know, from the truck on the top of this mountain that I wouldn't have thought there would have been anything or anybody. And here's this range fence and it's like a little corral, like in this tree thicket, like an old pocket of, uh, of pines. And I thought, well, that must have been like an outfitter camp or someone must have lived up here, had a horse, you know, something in there, mules, horses or something. And uh, as I'm step up to this range fence, I look out ahead of me like 50 yards and here's this bull raking his horns on a tree. And uh, Trevor says, just, you know, hunker down. And so I stepped over the fence and dropped down, had my pack still on. He set up, he had a, he had a video camera on a tripod. And he cow called like twice and the thing just here come. And, uh, he walked by me, uh, I think it was like 12 yards and he started to bugle and, uh, I shot him and kind of hit him maybe a little back. I mean, it was like 10 inches back, but he whirled and stopped and gave me a second shot, like 10, like 10 yards, maybe, you know, he, he, he got closer at the second shot. And, uh, so I got another arrow in him and, uh, it was getting later in the afternoon. So, um, you know, we let him go until the next morning and, and, uh, that thing didn't bleed at all. We ended up, you know, finding him about a quarter mile and, you know, first thing in the morning, but you know, I mean, we could follow his tracks, but hardly any blood at all, but he was a dandy bull. He was, 
like three fifties something. Um, I don't remember exactly what he scored, but he was, he was a dandy. I, if I had eight, 10 grand every year, I'd, I'd buy a Nevada tag every year and go hunt there. <laughs> yeah. That's what, uh, you, you got lucky running into that guy that man, they kill some giant bulls. I've heard him on a couple podcasts too. And that guy's a, yeah, I, since then I, you know, I've kept in contact and, uh, uh, Trevor just hunts. That's yeah. what he does for a living. Uh, I, I've never, um, went on any other outfitting trips with them. I, you know, I don't have a tag in, in California. We're not allowed to shoot, shoot or hunt mountain lions in other States and we can go hunt them, but I can't bring them back into the state. So I wanted to go do that with them. And, you know, it's just, you know, my luck, I'd be the guy to get caught doing something like that. So I don't, I don't do it, but you can't even I'd, bring uh, it I'd back. Luck. You I, can't even bring one you've killed back into the state. No. Wow. No, that's it's crazy. Ri- ridiculous, isn't it? It is ridiculous. Yeah. So I'd uh, I'd love to go over there and you know do that with them one day, but I don't know if it'll, it'll if it'll ever change. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he he uh, man, he just hunts. I mean, he knows that's what he does. If yeah, he's I, not trapping or I think his dad, lines or, didn't his da- dad just hunt too forever? Wasn't his dad just a guide there too? His dad guided for for many years, and I think he still does. But I I want to say that maybe he has a construction company as well. Okay. I don't, I don't remember. I think Trevor, you know, he kind of takes, has taken over all the Bull Ridge stuff, I think, mm-hmm. um, all the Bull Ridge guide service. But, uh, yeah, he just, uh, boy hunts and he knows the country. I mean, anybody, anybody ever draws a tag or wants to hire an outfitter he, around that area, he, he, uh, he seems to know it. So yeah, that's super. I mean, it's awesome. Hunters are so cool, dude, to, to run into a guy like that in the morning at a gas station and be like, Hey, let's go. That's just, that's just yeah. awesome. No, great. Yeah, and he videoed the whole hunt and everything. I mean, it's yeah, uh, it was awesome. I mean, it's cool to have that memory, but to occasionally get to watch it. You know, I think Norm put it on his site a few years ago. Alan, he had it. There was a bunch of little footage, and they put something together. But uh, it's uh, yeah, that was kind of cool. And it's awesome to have the so the story about the white bull. I know you're heartbroken for missing it, but that's uh, that just adds to the adventure there. (laughs) Yeah, somebody. Drew with Subway Archery sent me a picture today on social media of a white bull that was shot in that same area this year. Um, and I don't, I didn't follow them. They're like elk assassins or somebody like that. Um, and, uh, but I saw, and it would look very similar to that bull. I'll send you guys the photo when we're done. Um, it looked very similar, you know, to the same bull that, that I chased, you know, seven years ago, eight years ago. Well, didn't somebody shoot a, a, that big white bull in Nevada like later that year with a muzzle? They got it. it uh, they got that bull, the same bull, from what I understand, the next year uh, in that same area, and I think it was a. Uh, I don't. A, it could have been a muzzleloader hunt. I'm not. I, I just know somebody shot it. I don't, I don't remember to be honest with you. If it, it was, was on a, um, Elk Archer. 101 or Elk. I think it was on Elk 101's uh, website back. Back when it happened, they had it actually videoed. I think. Yeah, if you go to uh, Elk One Hundred One site, uh, Corey Corey was the first one to put a video of that white bull together of my hunt. Oh, okay. And it was it was uh, there was like a he he was calling them webisodes webisode number twenty two, 
Uh, and there's a lot of video of that white bull on there and me hunting it and then me shooting the bull I ended up shooting. Uh, so, but I, there could be another video of it. I don't okay. know. Okay. Awesome. That sounds like a really cool once in a lifetime hunt for sure. Oh, it's awesome. I, I hope that, uh, the cards are my favorite this year and I draw with no points, but cause I'll, sure. I'll, I will be applying, I will be applying again. <laughs> Yeah, I gotta wait seven years now. But you're able to get points. I know. The seven years you wait, you're able to get points, right? Nope. You can't even apply for it. Really? I was talking to a guy down there and he was saying that you could, you can't apply, but he thought you could still buy a preference point. No, when you, you'll see this year when you click on Nevada stuff and you go in there and you'll see what you're eligible for to even buy points or apply for and, um, that's not one of them. Um, you could, well, you can apply. They have some silver state tags or something like that. You, yeah. you can apply for those. But um, yeah, I, I uh, yeah, yeah. You know, congratulations. I, I saw you had a good year between there and uh, Arizona. Yeah. Um, some nice bulls. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. Good year. Gets me all pumped up hearing your stories. But like, like you said, it's hard to get those tags. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah. I got. Yeah, I think difficult. I have. I'm up to five or six Nevada deer points again. So I'm hoping to, you know, like, but like you said, it's hard. Those, I apply with my, my dad loves hunting mule deer. So I always try to go with him, you know, while he can, you know, he's getting older. So it's hard yep. when a lot of those hunts, they only give out one or two non-resident tags unless you go for the block units, which there's four or five of those. But, uh, yeah. some of the areas I've been wanting to hunt that are a little closer to Oregon are, they give out two tags, and so unless we get drawn, the first pick, you know, it's uh, pretty pretty steep odds, unfortunately. But we're gonna try. I'll probably probably put a couple of those first choice, and then put one of the easier to draw ones down there down the road, so we get to go down there. It's awesome going down in the beginning of August. And I know you're a Kuyu guy, and I've been uh, their warm weather stuff is pretty sweet. I, I've been, you know. Nevada and hunting elk in the desert here in Oregon the last couple of years. I've been wearing those shorts and the zip off long johns. What, what little system do you wear when you're out there in the hot weather? I, you know, I like the Tiburon pants, but I, I've been known to wear the Tiburon shorts and just the long johns underneath. I, I like to sneak in if I'm hunting, you know, sagebrush like mule deer. Um, I like to just wear the long johns as I'm going in. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll take my, my shorts or pants or if, if I'm wearing something that's baggy, um, you know, a lot of times I'll roll my pant over and just, you know, you know, you know, pull my socks up over them. So everything's kind of tapered and I'm not snagging a pant leg on a piece of sagebrush, but, uh, I've stocked in on several bucks wearing long johns, not necessarily the Kuyu ones, but that's, but that's what I wear now. Um, I, uh, I stalked around in those long johns in Nevada this year. Um, you know, it's great. You know, they're skin tight and, you know, it keeps your, you know, yeah. legs from getting scratched and stuff. So I love that they zip off too. It's so nice. Oh, yeah. Those tib- the yeah the, yeah the Tiburon pants and shorts. I, those are one of my favorites in the tack pants. Um, I wear that stuff. Oh, I'm wearing it now. I wear. I don't, daily. I don't have it's the super comfy. I don't have the Tiburon, but the attack pants are my favorite pants in the world. Like those are the best pants ever made. I love those. Yeah. Yeah, they have a lot of new products and pants coming out this year. They have a new brand called Lifestyles and where they have a lot of more solids for, 
and uh, I think they're going to have some in the camera too. But they uh, there's you know some you know a lot of new solid uh, you know products coming out, and you know, guys just love it and they're wearing it and they're like, hey, you know, we want our camo hunting pants are the most comfortable, so they're they're you know they're really geared you know towards selling a, a lot more of that now that's in the solids and where um, guys can wear it every day. Yeah. Uh, cool. I do. I mean, I, I, I can't, I've been wearing the same, I have some of the same original pants that I got from Jason when he started it, you know, eight, nine years ago that were samples and I, they're not worn out. I mean, they're, they're, I wear them all the time. I've I mean, got the original Kugach rain suit from the very first release, like the first run. That thing is so tough, man. So tough. Yeah. Well, and those, and the, what I like about, you know, and I have mixed matches, Sitka, or, you know, I get whatever I can get on sale, but man, the, the early season stuff, it's like they've, they, they know the little touches, like the little, the Tiber, I don't know how you pronounce that, Tiburon, Tiburon. pants. Um, yeah, Tiburon. you know, they're, they're, they're lightweight and, and they're, you know, they breathe really well, but then the little, like, you hit the little zipper on the side by your butt and it's, you wouldn't think it like, oh, it's nothing, but you unzip those when you're hiking back and it's hot, you know, you know, shade and you get a little breeze in there and you're like, oh man, that's nice. It breezes right over your ass. You're like, that's genius. Those, those little touches, man. I, lo- I, I love that. You yeah, can tell vents, somebody put some serious thought into that stuff. Yeah. Those, uh, yeah, those vents are nice on the sides and the, you know, they have them in some of the jackets and, and the pits and, uh, you know, when you're cranking up a hill or walking a lot, it's, uh, I get hot quick. Yep. So I don't like wearing a lot of stuff and I'll usually shut it all off. But, uh, when you're, you know, just pulling a little hill or something, it's, that stuff's nice to, you know, you know, open up and, you know, breathe. Um, it really is helpful. I always thought, God, what do you got to separate on the side of a pair of pants for? But there's a purpose and it works. Yeah, for sure. I got but, the uh, same, I've, I, I've been wearing the same, uh, t-shirt just their little merino t-shirt i got when i signed up for go hunt or something that was like free <laughs> i've been, I've been yeah. wearing the heck out of that thing for like four years i need to get i need to get a new one eventually but it's, yeah. it still works I, I i've always been a wool guy i've always liked wool and you know that merino wool has been great um i wore king of the mountain years ago all the time and i just always liked and you know some of their underwear that wool stuff it just really helped them this last season i got some peloton and, uh, boy, that stuff's nice too. I mean, they're the, you know, the, you know, some of those, you know, newer materials and stuff, they just fit, fit nice. And, you know, they're, you know, tight to the skin. And, you know, if you layer up properly, uh, you know, really stay thirsty. Um, and I, I layer up more on my July black tail hunt probably than I do on all the other hunts because, you know, I'm in the cold and fog and wind and, you know, it's, uh, you know, I seem like I'm more bundled up then. I got a puffy coat on and stuff like that. But I think I'm more bundled up then when I'm, you know, you know, every year I go to Michigan, hunt whitetails. And that's, uh, um, I think I'm more bundled up in July sometimes than I am sitting in a tree stand in Michigan in November. It's crazy. You wouldn't think that uh, July in California, you'd be wearing a super down or down coat out hunting. Yeah. You know, those things are so convenient. They're nice just to you know, throw in and, I mean, throw it on with a t-shirt and they're, yeah, they're nice. I don't know. They never thought I'd wear a, you know, you know, puppy coat in July, but I've worn it a lot down there. So I'm always cold, so I live in a puffy coat. <laughs> yeah. So why don't we? Uh, uh, that was a kind of a nice transition. Um, 
I know you hunt Michigan for whitetails every year. Uh, why don't we dig into that a little bit? And tell us uh, how uh, how you got into that and a guy from California going out to Michigan to hunt whitetails. Maybe tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, a uh, really good friend of mine and, you know, hunting partner for uh, who, it's, ironically, we talk about Nevada, the area that me and my dad went to many years ago. I was up hunting and uh, in, in Nevada, it's probably been 22, 23 years ago. Um, and I met this guy on the mountain with a recurve in his hand, Tony Mudd. And uh, he's one of my best friends still today. Uh, heart of gold. I mean, I, me and my dad back to his house to stay, and we ended up staying there when season opened, and you know, lived out of his garage for a week. And and uh, you know, Tony invites me invites me back to Michigan every year and stay with his family and hunt with some of his friends, you know, that he grew up with in his hometown. And uh, it's a blast. I mean, it's it's a you know, it's a different type of hunting. You know, where you're just in a tree stand all day and uh, lots of deer, plenty of deer. And, uh, I had a lot of, uh, opportunities over the years and, you know, shot a lot of, shot a lot of does and small bucks and stuff. Well, I mean, not a lot of bucks, but you know, lots of deer, uh, this year, not so much. I had, a, I had the sprays, I had the empty quiver syndrome, <laughs> uh, which, uh, which, which, which I wasn't emptying my quiver each time, but I, I had, uh, you know, those deer, you know, you read stories and you hear about them, oh, the gray ghost or something like that. But uh, I had several opportunities that just caught me off guard. All of a sudden, there'd be a buck stand underneath the stand. And I could see 100 yards all the way around me. And, I mean, you're looking at leaves on the ground that are as big as your face. And it's noisy. You can hear the squirrels run through the woods. And all of a sudden, there's a deer standing there. And you didn't even hear them or see which way it came from. And uh, I kind of rushed a couple shots and uh, and missed. And uh, so it was a little frustrating. But uh had a great time. I think this, that was my fourth season out there. Uh, Tony invited me years ago and I couldn't go and, and, uh, you know, it's gotten a little easier over the years to be able to break away. And now I, I don't think I'd ever miss another season as long as he keeps inviting me. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, if you keep uh, missing his deer, I'm sure he'll keep inviting you. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe, you know, yeah, it's just, that's it's bow, nice. To that's get, bow hunting, man. Yeah. It's nice to go to a, uh, you know, it's all private property, stuff but you're hunting you know every other year there's either corn or soybeans on these fields you know but the deer are doing the same thing every day you know they're living in the creek bottoms they're coming out of the same trails um you know once you pattern them and you get the wind in your favor and you know there's that's one thing uh, the white tails out there on this farm that we're hunting there's it's not a big farm but there's i don't know they've probably got eight or ten different stand locations and uh it's amazing that you could see them you know, you climb in those things to get the wind in your favor. And a lot of the stands, you know, you can see. And, uh, you know, it, I see deer every night. I mean, there's there's an opportunity every sit um, to shoot to shoot a doe. Or you might see a small buck. You might see some bucks chasing in the distance. Uh, Tony got a really nice, um, you know, 11 point this year. Uh, just a dandy. And uh, I just missed. I, I, you know, the buck I shot at was, uh, you know, he wasn't a monster. But he was nice, nice, nice little eight point and uh, missed a couple chip shots on some does and kind of left there frustrated with myself going, God, I just, and I just rushed it, you know, yeah. if I can, you know, if I see something coming and I can bear down, I, I, uh, not that I've, you know, not that I've got it figured out, but I, you know, if I can see something coming and I know I'm stalking, uh, I can usually get my stuff, myself settled, you know, for a shot and, um, 
I just didn't do that this year. I just, all of a sudden there was a deer and, you know, you know, Hey, there's a deer walking through a lane at, you know, 10 yards, 12 yards. You know, they weren't long shots for sure. <laughs> and I just, just whiffed it like, uh Oh, missed again. So but, what's your, uh, what's your current arrow setup? We know you're shooting the, you're shooting the black tailed Columbia one piece longbow or are you shooting the three piece? Uh, I, I shoot both actually. I, uh, I took the three piece out to Michigan. Uh, I shot my mule deer and the, uh, black tail this year and, uh, I don't know, four or five hogs with that, uh, one piece. Uh, and I shot a turkey, uh, I don't know, a few couple weeks ago in our fall season with, uh, with that three piece. Uh, I like going back and forth. I mean, I like them both. Um, I keep, uh, I keep thinking I'm going to go back to shooting a recurve one day because that's, that's what I really love. But I think I've just fallen, fallen in love, you know, with the longbow and maybe that's all I'll keep shooting. But, uh, you back to shooting wood arrows or, you know, I've, I've done both, but you know, this last, you know, couple of years, I, I'm still shooting, uh, I'm still shooting the carbons. I'm shooting the victories, um, uh, you know, arrows, those little VAPs. The baps, what are they called? And, yep. uh, I shoot those with the, uh, I shoot Brent's, uh, insert system, but I shoot the Eclipse broadhead, the glue on. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, like 125. So I got, I don't know, 225 grains up front, probably roughly. And, uh, you know, it just works. Uh, sure. it's, uh, I love shooting wood narrows though. I, I have piles of them and, um, and I keep threatening to, you know, you know, start building one narrows again. And, but I just haven't done it. I'm sure I will one day. I'll probably go back. I mean, I, I love building them and I, you know, I, I just kind of got out of it with, with my daughter doing all the traveling soccer. You know, if we did eight or nine years of that and now she's off to college, but I, you know, I was, I was going with a little simpler method of just, you know, gluing some feathers on an arrow when I, that's what I had time for. But, uh, I well, love, uh, well, staining well, and dipping and cresting. What bow weight do you shoot, Brent? Uh, like 53 to 57 pounds. That's, I got about 40 bows hanging on the wall and they're all right <laughs> in that same range. Um, uh, and I, uh, both of my long bows are one's 53 and one's 57, the ones I've been bouncing back and forth with. Um, uh, I like that range, you know, 57 pounds, 55. That's, that's perfect for me. You know, my arrows, I could, go with one arrow and it flies out of all my bows the same. And, um, I don't like going much lower than that. I just, you know, even with the arrow setups and everything else, and I haven't tried it yet. I don't want to just go out and shoot steel and, you know, shoulder shoot stuff to see if a 40 pound bow works. But I, uh, yeah, I know this guy's doing it and they're, you know, very successful. So I, uh, you know, maybe I will one day, you know, <laughs> you know drop to a lighter bow, but, I could still, uh, I could still, you know, shoot a lot. So, you know, the 57, 55 pound range is, yeah, it's perfect. And it's still really comfortable for me. I think I shoot better with a heavier bow. I think I, I think the heaviest bow I have is like 61 pounds. I got a 66 inch, 61 pound bow. I think I have two or three of them, but they, I shoot better with those heavier bows than I shoot with, you know, with the lighter bows. Um, I get, I just have a better, you know, cleaner release and I shoot, I shoot a lot better with a heavier bow. Yeah. There is guys that talk about that a lot. Having the 
Oh, yeah. Cleaner release with a heavier bow. Yeah. I don't, I don't you know. I'll, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Brad. Uh, I, I tend to hold more, which I don't, you know, if I go to that 53 pound bow, I can hold the bow more. Well, the, the longer I hold it, the more I'm, I lose concentration. And, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm the snap shooter and I shoot well that way. I mean, I'm, I bear down and I come to about half draw and I, try and pick my spot the best I can if I'm if I'm not just flinching them off you know but and uh you know you know when my fingers hit the edge of my mouth it's gone if I shoot a lighter bow I tend to hold it more and I don't I'm not as not as consistent and I can hold the weight longer so I'll do that so I don't know I think it's better if I just stick with a little heavier bow and stick to the same that snap shooting is uh kind of seems to be as of late, a taboo, if you will. But I can tell you, um, I've kind of come full circle in my shooting. And I decided that I didn't want to just shoot my bow one way, that I wanted to have like a, a big bag of tricks. And so I've been really working on, and a lot of this is because of lost opportunity. You know, I call Bullen and he comes and goes so darn fast. So I've actually yeah. been w- working on snap shooting, uh, but not converting to snap shooting i'm still could hold for a little bit or not but i want to have the i want to feel confident that i can snap shoot because i think that uh it's it's a valuable tool yeah well there there's a lot of guys there's a lot of good books there's a lot of great instructors out there and they're very helpful with a lot of people some people you just gotta um you know if you could throw a baseball or shoot a shotgun you could shoot a stick bow and if you know you know, some ways, you know, clickers are good for guys. You know, um, I know there's some, the, you know, Joel Turner has really helped a lot of people. There's, you know, Fred Asbell helped a lot of people years ago reading his book on instinctive shooting. You just got to go shoot it. And what, and whatever way, you know, you don't have to do it this guy's way or that guy's way. Right. If it doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for you. You know, the best thing for me when I started shooting a stick bow is I shot a lot, I shoot a lot of arrows. I would shoot at night. I'd shoot at glow sticks and candles and stuff outside and, you know, just to practice on my form. And as long as you're doing the same thing every time, uh, you know, and you get it down, you know, and you get your, I guess, distance and stuff. You know, I don't do point-ons or any of that. I, I try and get close. That's part of it for me. Uh, but, it, you know, what I do, you know, works for me. It may not work for everybody else. But um, and what I see, I, I but I see people, you know, struggling. You know, I got to do a clicker because this guy's got one and I got to do this. And then they just struggle with it and they get frustrated and they, they eventually go back to, you know, shooting their compound or something. It's like, don't, don't do that. Just pick it up and go shoot it. Go pick it up, walk down a dirt road, shoot a cow pies and pine cones or whichever way works best for you. If it's, if the clicker helps you, it helps you. If, you know, uh, you know, or, you know, whatever point on or string think, walking or I think you gotta, that's... you gotta, you got to find your own niche and, and, uh, just, you know, stick with it. Uh, I tried a lot of different things over the years and, uh, I, I couldn't do it. I mean, I tried to compound many, I started off at, you know, eight, nine years old with a bare recurve and my grandfather had a Western store and had a little archery counter. And then we got compounds as kids and hunted with one for a couple of years and could never shoot the pins and the sights and got, I felt like I had the worst target panic as a kid shooting pins and, went back to a recurve, started shooting a stalker recurve. My friend Charlie Bisharat was making, you know, many years ago. And, uh, it just, uh, it just works for me. 
Yeah, I think that's sound advice. I mean, really sound advice. And a lot of guys with the social media, there's so much great help, uh, like you said, and there's so many ways to do it. And I think that if you pick up, uh, you know, some advice from this coach or that coach or this archer and it doesn't work for you, don't feel like you failed. Just move on to the next one until you find your way. And you, yeah, you, may, come, you may come full circle. I've kind of dabbled in everything and I've learned something that I took away, uh, that I utilized in my shot process from a lot of different people. Um, so yeah. just cause you don't fit into somebody's box or system doesn't mean you can't learn something from them or take something away from them and just kind of grow as an archer and as a hunter. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. There's, uh, yeah, there's a lot of different ways and methods, uh, you know, shooting a traditional bow and, you know, mine is, uh, picking a spot and snap shooting, you know, you know, getting rid of the arrow as fast as I can. Sometimes I empty my quiver and the deer's still standing there, but it, it, it is what it is. I, I know that, I know that I, you know, if I get, you know, all of a sudden or it's a real quick deal or I'm startled or, you know, I know when I fail, you know, exactly what I did wrong every single time. But I, uh, you know, I know that if I can sneak in on an animal and I'm watching it for a while and I can really calm my nerves, I, and I'm getting in close. I like to get 20 yards or under. I, you know, I could shoot out to 40 yards and, you know, you know, probably hit a pie plate out farther, but I don't, I don't typically practice that far. I mean, I, I shoot 10, 15 yards all the time and that's where I try and get. And even on the deer or, you know, turkeys, my, my turkey setup's usually way too close, but I'd rather shoot one at five yards instead of 20 yards. So I, uh, you know, I tend to, I tend to get too close sometimes, which is, really hurt me on some great opportunities on some really big bucks over the wow. years where I thought, well, well, he's 10 yards, but I can get it two more steps and, and, you know, shoot him there or there. And I go, well, I, I just messed up. But, you know, for me though, it's, that's part of it. I like, I, think, I, I just like it close. I think shooting really fast from what I found in my practice here lately, that snap shooting inside of 10 or 15 is really, I mean, I can really keep my groups tight. And so if you are getting super close, that's, I think that that can be very beneficial to your game if that's part of your, uh, repertoire and, and sounding, listening to your story on the white bull. I mean, even though you emptied your quiver, your arrows were in a tight group. So it's not like you're just letting yeah. them fly. You, there's definitely a, a system to your, to your madness. I can tell. Yeah. I, on that white bull, I probably could have. And I think I probably did on most of them. I think I could have pulled, if I would have really concentrated or, you know, I probably could pull all those arrows out of the bank with one hand. I mean, they were right there. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, but, that's all. oh, well. Yeah, that's, that's, that's bow hunting. Yeah, that's bow yeah. hunting. And then you were forced to take home that little 350 bull. So, yeah. Sounds like, sounds yeah. like it worked out okay. Yeah, no, and he's, he was a dandy. He was, uh, he was an, he was a neat elk for sure. So, I mean, they're all cool and fun to hunt, but it was so exciting. We got, it was a good, a good end to a great elk hunt for sure. So we're just, uh, a couple days away from Christmas here, 2018. Um, most everyone's hunts have wound down to, to no more hunting. Um, so I guess all of us hardcore guys were from, roaming out the mouth, uh, 
looking at 2019 and what it has to bring and big plans and whatnot. So what do you, what do you got on the, on the horizon? Well, after, after spending last weekend in Texas, um, I took, uh, I took my buddy Jason's, uh, Jason Harrison's son on a hunt that he had planned before he passed, um, to, to Texas. Uh, there was a kid's hunt. And, uh, after going down there and spending a week, I'm going to, I'm going to go back there in April, May and hunt turkeys and pigs because they're, they're there by the hundreds. And I could have walked around with a five gallon bucket of arrows shooting. I mean, it was just unbelievable. So I'm going to start, I'm going to do that. I'm applying for Heart Mountain. Hopefully I get that. I will apply for Nevada again and hopefully I get that. <laughs> and, uh, I do have an elk hunt planned in Idaho. And, uh, Michigan whitetail and whatever else, you know, the draw might bring. So, um, hopefully, hopefully something nice. So, <laughs> and also, also, uh, if you follow Brian on social media, he, you are such a, I mean, you are such a good guy to go. I notice you taking out your friends, your friends' kids, your daughter, your daughter's friends. You're always getting somebody into the outdoors to go pig hunting or turkey hunting or deer hunting. You really seem to make the time to get uh, people that may not be exactly totally hardcore into hunting, but you get them out in the outdoors and you you get them shooting that stuff no matter what the weapon. And, you know, I got my hats off to you for, for you taking the time out to do that kind of stuff. It's really cool and it's fun to watch and follow along. Yeah, thank you. I mean, that's what it's all about. I mean, you gotta, yeah, I mean, you gotta pass it on. I, um, you know, years ago, I wouldn't have thought of doing that, you know, as a younger, probably more selfish guy that just, I want to go hunt and shoot stuff for myself. But anymore, I mean, I just, again, I we spent the last, uh, last weekend, we spent five days in Texas and I was skinning, you know, deer for, you know, there was five kids hunting and, you know, they were tipping them over with a gun and, had had two or three friends this year get their first turkey, their first pig, and shooting a shotgun or rifle. So it took some first time bow hunters out. Uh, you know, some I took a couple guys out uh, in their mid fifties that never hunted before, and they're just hooked now. Um, awesome. So it's just uh, yeah, it's good. You know, there's um, it's good to get people involved in the outdoors. It's uh, you know I enjoy it. So I like hunting and shooting stuff myself, but you know, there's so many pigs and turkeys and stuff in California. Those are, those are a couple of the things that I'm, I'm able to, you know, get some people involved in and, you know, taking kids is a blast. It's just, uh, you know, there's so much uh, going on out there and, you know, they could, you know, take the turn, go the wrong direction or do, you know, way too much. And I love the outdoors and, you know, traditional bow hunting and fly fishing since I was a kid. That's, that's kind of what I've loved. And, feel like it kept you know kept me out of trouble and um if i can take any kids out i, I like doing that so awesome I, I i love that you do that uh one of these days we're gonna have to share a camp even if it's whatever it is pigs uh turkeys uh roosevelt elk something i look forward to once we once our uh paths cross to be able to go hunting together I, we, we talk about yeah. it here and there but it just hasn't worked out yet yep anytime yeah, let me know. Just give me a few days' notice, I'll be ready. <laughs> I've got a, I've got a backpack and a bow and all my hunting stuff usually in the front room, laying right there on the floor. So, um, 
I hunt pigs a lot. I mean, I'm usually out for an afternoon or something, but <laughs> trying to chase them. I'll be, I'll be chasing them next weekend when I get home. I'm in Spokane, Washington right now and, uh, here for, you know, here for the holidays. So once I, once I get home, I'll, uh, be chasing hogs next weekend. So awesome. Well, we really appreciate your time and, uh, we'll look forward to, uh, catching back up with you again next year and, Hope that your yeah. 2019 season is uh, full of uh, good times. And, uh, yeah, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Yep, you too. You guys have a great holiday. Once again, we'd like to thank the listeners. Don't forget to tell your friends about the podcast. Even if they're compound guys, there's a lot to be learned from these guys we're bringing on the show. I was uh, out steelhead fishing yesterday and ran into a, a fellow bow hunter that hunts with uh, – modern equipment and he was you know asking about the podcast and i kind of pointed that out to him like even if stick bow hunting is not something that's on uh you know your forefront listening to guys that are taking animals um, with the stick and string i think is very helpful educational and entertaining for for all hunters so definitely spread the word we'd appreciate it we are on instagram we like to try to hop on there and Post pictures of stuff that pertain to the weekly episodes. So definitely go on Instagram, check us out at TradQuest. You could send us an email at TradQuestPodcast at gmail.com or send us a private message at TradQuest on Instagram. And always keep the wind in your face, pick a spot, and shoot straight.